take your seats. Good. Hey, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. Hey. So, uh, if you don't know me, my name's Mark, part of the leadership team here. Uh, Delight to welcome you this morning and to start the year off. You know, um, when you get to the end of one year and the start of another, the 31st of December, 1st of January, nothing changes at all, does it? On one level, right, nothing, I am still me, (laughs) I may be 24 hours older, but actually on one level, absolutely nothing changes at all, it is just another day, but... But at the same time, there is something in our psyche, something in our mentality, something in how we think, and something I would say that God has ordained and put in place in terms of how he revolves the planets and how he makes a day a day and a year a year and all that kind of stuff that actually means that the 31st of December to the 1st of January is actually quite significant. And there is something in the passing of a year and there is something in the passing of even a decade where we need to think, oh, okay, that was then and this is now. And so, you know, the whole thing of New Year's resolutions, why is it easier to start something and make it last for at least 36 hours rather than, some of you might be going a lot better than that, you know, but anyway, but in the, it, why, why, is it, why is it that we do that? Because there is this psychological thing, there is this thing that says that was then, this is now. And so I just want to build on that and say, hey, there is nothing wrong in thinking like that. I think there is nothing wrong in thinking in year blocks. There is nothing wrong in thinking even in 10-year blocks. In fact, Morris, who was here last week, he advised me once. He said, think in 10-year blocks. Think in terms of how, how that the next 10 years looks like. For some of you, that's terrifying. <laughs> For some of you thinking, 10 years, that's forever. I don't need to worry about that. But, you know, 10-year blocks is just kind of something that's quite useful to think about. So why am I going here? Well... What we've done is for the start of this year, we've actually started a new preaching series. And uh, it's at the beginning of the Bible. And I think it's very appropriately appropriate to start. It's all very deliberate. You know that, right? We want to start at the beginning of the Bible, at the start of a new year, to say, well, what is going on here? What can we learn? Where are we going to be? So if you've got your Bibles, you might want to find Genesis. It's at the beginning. I'll just give you a clue. Okay. Um, And we're hoping that this series is going to be a lot of fun. I know uh, certain members of the uh, preaching team are really looking forward to this. Other members of the preaching team are terrified. You know, there's this kind of like balance in Genesis, which is quite difficult. And we're actually going to be focusing in on Genesis 1 to 11. And today I'm just going to kind of give you a bit of an introduction to all of that, as well as a a, a bit of an introduction to the year, I think, as well. So there's just this this sense, actually, that when you start looking at Genesis, it's, it's both a mixture of Sunday school stories, you know, stories from your childhood that you think, yes, I know those they're they're easy and also some stuff in there which is deeply challenging which is quite difficult to work through there's some challenging stuff in the Hebrew and there's some challenging stuff in terms of some of the concepts which we kind of come into conflict with with our 21st century mindsets so there's this this kind of wonderful mix of really really easy and incredibly hard doesn't that sound like fun 
some of you are thinking, I like the sound of the easy bit, right? You know, but hopefully we're going to weave our way through and we're going to get a good path in terms of making the right, the right kind of balance of academic and Sunday school. That's the kind of idea, okay? So we're gonna, if we succeed, it'll be great. And I would encourage you, because it does build, and it is really fundamental to our faith. It's really fundamental to how God has set the world in place and also kind of like how we see things, that I would encourage you to, if you can't make it every Sunday, at least listen to the talks every Sunday, because it's going to build week by week by week, okay, over the next uh, 11 weeks or so. We're going to kind of take a chapter a, a week sort of thing. Um, when I was just uh, speaking with God and saying, well, Lord, what, what do you want me to do for this Sunday? I always ask, I always start the new year by saying to the Lord, well, have you got a picture for this year? So in previous years, we've had pictures of dams and all sorts of things. And I say, well, is there, a, is there an illustration that you really want to give us as a church, as people, as something that kind of ties in? And he said to me, well, this year, I think the, the thing that I want you to see is I want to see you to see a, an arc or a parabola, like a, a kind of like a, a kind of a, a whole curve. There's a better word for it in terms of going on. It's the kind of thing that you get, you know, we've got the, the javelin thrower there when they run up and they throw the javelin and it launches, doesn't it? And it kind of goes in this beautiful curve and it goes so, so far, if you're really, really good. If you're me, kind of, yeah. But it goes so, so far, it goes so, so far and it lands in there. And I think God is saying, hey, I, as a people, I want you to know that you are on an incredible curve. You are on an incredible arc. There is something about you, there is something about us as a people that God wants, to know, wants you to know that there's something amazing in terms of the journey that we are on, and it's going so, so far, but I just want you to make sure that you have got the right trajectory, the right kind of direction. You know when you throw something, uh, it kind of goes in a certain way, but if you don't get your trajectory right, if you don't get your starting point right, if you don't get the angle right, and if you're not aiming in the right place then it doesn't really go anywhere. Let me illustrate this. I was going to bring a javelin in, but apparently the health and safety, you know. And then I thought a cricket ball, and I thought, no, again, that could go very, very wrong. So I've got the indoor football. That's what I've got here. And uh, so if we're, if we're saying, no, ideally, I'm never going to hit you, Andy. There's, there's just there's too many things. I want, to, I want to go safe. Okay, so Ed's over there, and I know Ed plays cricket, so I think I'm, I'm in good territory if I go this way. No pressure, mate. There's more pressure on me than there is on you, okay, right? So, and also everyone will be able to see the lovely arc because it goes to you, right? So if I get this right, it's going to be a lovely arc over there. Ed will catch it. We can ship him off to South Africa and he play for cricket for England. Right, you ready? Ready, right, okay. Here you go. There we go. It's all back. And you can throw it back as well. Hey, we could do this all day. Over the, no, I won't do that. Now, <laughs> if I got this wrong, all that happens is it even goes backwards. If you don't get your launching angle right, if you don't start in the right place, if I'm aiming for Ed and I throw it over there, <laughs> you've got no hope, right? Coming back again. <laughs> nice. If I kind of like go, right, I'm going to throw it as far as I can, I'm going to hit Andy this time, it's going over there, right? And I do that. Well, again, that's no use at all either, is it? We've got to make sure that... Oh, hello. <laughs> We've got to make sure that we get that angle right. We've got to make the starting place right. We've got to get the angle right. That's enough of that. And hopefully we know that we get that direction going in that way. Now, as we approach Genesis, I think what we can do with Genesis is say, well, are we going from the right starting place? Because Genesis is the starting place. It tells you where God starts from. 
It tells you the angle that he's aiming with, and it also tells you the trajectory and where he is aiming. So if our lives are not tied in with Genesis, then we need to think, well, okay, have we, have we quite got this right? Have we got ourselves in the right position? Have we got ourselves aiming in the right way? Are we aiming where God is aiming, or are we aiming somewhere else? So today, that's what I really want to explore, and I'm going to do that with a bit of an introduction to Genesis, and then we'll kind of do some fun stuff at the end, depending on how much time we have. So, let me start with this, some tips on how to handle Genesis. Before we begin, before we start, before we do anything, let's just look at this book, and particularly the first 11 chapters, as I say, that's where we're kind of going. When we are approaching Genesis, let me say this. You are allowed to disagree with one another. Oh, hang on a minute. Also, you're allowed to disagree with me. You're allowed to disagree with Grantley and Mark and Ben when he speaks. And you're even allowed to disagree with John with you. I know, right? Oh, no, yeah. Yeah, Everyone's going, I was with you up to the point where you said John Wilton. Now, I'm out of here. Forget it, forget it. So, (laughs) well, what do I mean by that? Well, because when you approach Genesis, there's a lot of stuff in there which is absolutely foundational truth. I want to say that. I'm not saying there is not truth in there which we need to hold and we need to say that is true. We're not shifting from that. But there is also a lot of stuff where there are many different opinions. And sometimes if we hold those opinions too tightly when those things aren't meant to be held tightly, or if we're approaching them from a completely wrong place, because we think they say something they don't, then we end up being fundamental over aspects and end up fighting. Now, the challenge of the culture of today, and you may have seen this recently of something, I don't know, uh, is that when somebody disagrees with somebody else, that person tends to become the enemy. So that person over there, I disagree with you over, I don't know, Brexit. Let's throw that out of there. Uh, That person then becomes the enemy. That is the culture of our day. And when somebody becomes an enemy within the church, you get a tearing apart of a brother and sisterhood, which is not meant to be torn apart. And so when we're approaching this stuff, we need to do so with humility and also remember that as a Christian, disagreement is not about winning arguments, it's about showing Jesus. Let me say that again. Disagreement is not about winning arguments, it's about showing Jesus. So in our house, let's take the seven days of creation, shall we? That's a fun one. So uh, you'll have to come back to find more details about this next week, so I'm speaking on this next week. But in the seven days of creation, in our house, Karis and I disagree. I know. One of us thinks it is actually seven days, uh, 24-hour periods, and one of us thinks it's seven periods of time. You'll have to come back next week to get a fuller explanation of that, but just to say that as an example. Is Karis my enemy? No. (laughs) Okay? No. (laughs) No. No. <laughs> right, we're, we're, I, I love her, I care for her, and we disagree. But we're still going to work that through. That's what family does. When you disagree with somebody on a theological position, it's an opportunity to show Jesus. Colossians 3, 12 to 14 says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, 
And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. When we are bearing with one another, it requires humility and it requires honour on the other person to the other person. And when you're doing that, you've got to come from a place of security in knowing who you are. Okay, so that's the first point. When we're approaching Genesis, we need to make sure we disagree well. The second thing we need to understand is the context within which Genesis is written. Now, is this book literal? Is it poetic? Is it kind of like a a historic document? What and how are we meant to approach this book? Is it a combination of all of those things? Well, the first thing we need to understand is when it was written and who it was written by. Now, what we do and what we'll try and do as a preaching team is when we're conveying something where there is ambiguity or where we think it's something that there is personal opinion involved, we'll say, personally. So the preaching team will be saying, well, personally, this is my opinion. So you get hold of that. So you know the difference between what is definitive truth and what is personal kind of stuff. And personally, (laughs) I think that Moses wrote Genesis. I think it was revealed to him uh, uh, about 3,000 years ago, and God conveyed to him. So God spoke, Moses wrote it down, and so that's how we get Genesis, and that's how it's formed. There are different opinions out there, but that's the one I believe. Now, if that is the case, if Genesis was written by Moses, we say, well, that's written 3,000 years ago. 3,000 years ago, the world looked slightly different. People thought different things. It's only since then the Enlightenment in the kind of the 18th century where Genesis 1 to 11, specifically Genesis 1 to 3, has come under real questioning. Before then, people didn't look at it through scientific eyes. And so there's this whole thing now where science and theology seem to be completely separate and they're over there and kind of like, well, science says this and Genesis 1 to 3 says this and therefore, no, that can't be right. Uh, And I I happen to think that actually science and theology do go beautifully together. I'm not a scientist. I'm barely a theologian. But, you know, you kind of mix those two together and you kind of get something. Okay, these these are complementary. They're not meant to be adversarial. And so that's when we're approaching that. We need to say, hey, that's how we're looking at it. Because when Genesis was written, it wasn't written as a scientific account of how the world was made or how any of that stuff happened. It was written as God trying to convey something. And so if we're, if we're not careful, our 21st mindset, 21st century mindset, can override the original intent of Genesis. So that's the, that's the first thing, that cultural context. Now, you also need to know that Genesis is incredibly countercultural at the time it was written. On one side, you've got um, Mesopotamia and, and Babylonia, you know, Babylon, the whole place that was built. You've got the whole Mesopotamian belief system. On the other side, you've got Egypt and the Egyptian belief system. Both of those belief systems are slightly contrary to what Genesis is saying. They kind of come from a place where gods created the world by killing other gods and using various bodily fluids to create things, and it's horrible. But anyway, there's just these various things going on around about in the world around. Uh, but Genesis is written and said, no, 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 this is God creating out of nothing. This is God just speaking the world into place. Those other world systems also said, well, it started off absolutely rubbish. The gods didn't know what they were doing. It was just a mess, and man has made it better and better and better. There's this kind of belief system that that's the case. And Genesis said, no, 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 God made it good, man messed it up, and God's making it good again. And then you've kind of got this idea that the other religions around about the time, the other gods, they would say, well, man is there to serve the gods and to to look after those gods and to feed them and provide for them. And the God of Genesis is, no, 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 I'm here to provide for you. 
I'm here to bless you. And so you've got these, this very countercultural world. So it's always been a countercultural book. So we need to get into our mindset that just because the science doesn't add up, maybe, or in terms of how things work, that, oh, oh, okay, well, it can't be true. No, 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 it's always been countercultural. So this must be that God is trying to convey and communicate something beyond just the kind of 21st century evolution theories. So that's kind of like where we're looking at from that point of view. So we know today as well, what is God trying to do through Genesis 1 to 11? And it's this. He's trying to reveal himself. He's trying to communicate with us something of himself. He's trying to say, this is who I am. Look at me. Genesis 1 to 11 shows the helpless situation man finds himself in and the promise of redemption and restoration, which the rest of the Bible flows from. It's revealing God. It's saying this is who he is. It's answering questions of where did we come from? Who we are? Why is the world broken? How can it be fixed? What's our takeoff point? Where is our landing? And what happens in between? That's what it's there for. Let's read Genesis 1, 1, 2, because I think it's just an amazing introduction to Genesis. Pull out a couple of points from that. So... In the beginning, God. That's pretty good, isn't it? Even a sneeze for emphasis. In the beginning, God. In the beginning. That was perfect timing. Well done. Sure, sure. Go for a third one. In the no. In the beginning, God. That's that's just the start of this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was out with form, without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This word beginning, it's start, it's what Genesis is. So Genesis is just a translation of beginning, right? So beginning, Genesis, in the beginning. It can mean first or source. So in the first, God. In the first, God. That is our starting point. Yes, I know that's slightly Sunday school aspect, but just get hold of that. God, in the beginning. See, we're not trying to define a period of time here. We're defining the very creation of time. This isn't about explaining a period. It's about explaining that God is and was and has always will be. He is... The one who laid the foundation of the earth. He is the one who measured out its dimensions. He is the one who heard the angels who he had created shout for joy at the creation set before him. He is the one whose love will never run out. He is the one who breathed creation into being. He is the one who created all things visible and invisible. He is the creator. This, these few words describe where God came from. Or rather, they don't. One of my children, who's the thinker in the family, said, well, who made God? Where does God come from? Try explaining infinity to a seven-year-old. But that's, that's what this answers. It, it doesn't say, well, God was here and here and here, and this is what happened. It just says, he is, in the beginning, God. That's the very starting place. John Piper says this, he says, think about before everything. Was it a big bang or a person? We don't know for sure. 
Hebrews 11.3 says it's by faith we believe in what God says. B says, look at the evidence around you. Does the universe carry the characteristics of a person or a random collection of atoms? You see, the Bible does not use the word nature, environment, or habitat for all that's around us. It uses the word creation because God created. He's like an artist. And when an artist creates, they take the paint and they put it onto the blank canvas. And when they take the, the, the clay, they shape it into a, a sculpture. They are taking something and making it into something else. But God, he creates the very essence that he then molds and creates this beautiful work of art. And he doesn't make any mistakes. I quite enjoy sketching and, and painting some things. Um, but when I do that, I often kind of just make a slight error or get a line in the wrong place and you have to rub it out or start over or paint back in. Anyway, all those kinds of things. But when God does this, he doesn't make any mistakes at all. So when he created you, there is no mistake. There is no mistake. When he spoke you into being, there is no mistake in terms of who and what he has done with you. Louis Gigolo says this, he says, God is infinitely creative. That means his creativity has no end. And God shows his creativity in you. You began just like the word, world as a blank page in his book and he began writing your story before you were even born and it's going to be a great one. Again, that's our launching place. We need to know that's where we start from. God is the first God made everything, God made you, and he does not make mistakes. And we also need to know where the landing place is as well. And the landing place is a new heaven and a new earth. We're saying, well, hang on a moment. If he doesn't make mistakes, why do we need a new heaven and a new earth? Well, that's because of man, not because of God. That sin that's entered into the world has made a mess of things. But then God puts it right through Jesus. Perfection. Without blemish. And one day there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Just like the one that we'll look at next week. It's going to be good. Both the preach and the new heaven and the new earth. (laughs) I haven't even written yet and I know. So how do we make sure that we're on the right trajectory? How do we make sure that we are just getting into the right place? How do we make sure that our, our, our ways are aligned to his ways? Because if we've got our aiming point and we've got our starting point, we make sure that that angle of trajectory is right. You know, when uh, they used to sail across the Atlantic, there was a time where there were no sat-navs. I remember a time with no sat-navs. Getting lost in Germany with my dad driving and my mum trying to navigate. <coughs> I won't tell you what he called the Rhine, but he was very annoyed that he couldn't cross it. (laughs) Anyway, so there's this whole thing of of kind of like how they used to uh, navigate. And they used to use this thing called a sextant. Now, how a sextant works is that you look through a little kind of telescopy thing and you line up the horizon, okay? And then you line up the sun when it's at its zenith. That means at its highest point, 12 noon. And then you consult a table that tells you the angle between and you say, aha, now I know where I am on the earth. I can never remember whether it's latitude or longitude. Anyway, nobody else knows. That's fine. Latitude. Latitude. Thank you very good, old Pete. Right. Yes. <laughs> you need a clock for that one, don't you? Yeah. You need. Yeah. We should invite the invented clock. Anyway, so latitude. You just told me, and I've forgotten already. 
Latitude, right. Remember the festival, latitude. Right, so. <laughs> a load of people are going, I have no idea what he's talking about. So you look through this telescope, you get your angle and you do this. Now the trouble with that is obviously a ship moves. I don't know if you've noticed this. So the ship is moving, so you've got to try and get horizon straight away, so that's moving. And then there's no land around you in the middle of the Atlantic. Trust me, I've been there. And then you've got to find the sun exactly 12 o'clock with no watch. That's fun as well, isn't it? So straight away, you've got two inconsistence. And then, just to add to the fun, the actual angles which are measured are only measured to the nearest 0.1 minute. That doesn't mean time, it means angle. And the 0.1 minute means that there is, I'm going to have to read this, where is it? There uh, is one nautical mile to one minute, which means that the greatest level of accuracy that you can have on your little kind of gauge is about 200 meters. If it takes you three to four weeks to cross the Atlantic on a sailing ship, that means that the best you could expect for was about six kilometers out or four miles. Okay, so you, you, that's the very best. And that's not taking into account the fact that the sea's moving and you don't know what time noon is. <laughs> All right, so that's, that's always challenging. So when you're kind of going on this, now sat-nav, ah, oh, it's changed the world, hasn't it? No more arguments in the car, it's wonderful. Anyway, <laughs> except when you put the wrong thing into sat-nav, <laughs> which I may or may not have done in the past. Anyway, so sat-nav, accurate to the nearest... Anyone to hazard a guess? Three metres. Anyone else? <laughs> so they reckon uh, about 0.7 metres it's accurate to, which is pretty good, isn't it? That's from like there to there. The government actually promises it will be less than eight metres, but you know, figures show that it's about 0.7 metres. Uh, if you're using military-grade stuff, it goes down to millimetres, but we won't worry about that either. <clears throat> uh, anyway, so... Why am I saying this? Well, because you need to know and take regular measurements of where you are at so you know you are on the right course so that you can provide course correction. How do you look at your trajectory? Well, you align yourself with what's going on in God's word. You say, am I still on course? Am I still going from the place that I started in? And am I still aiming for the thing that God is aiming for? And am I still on that trajectory? And do I need to do anything to get myself back on that trajectory? And those are my questions for this morning. Where are you starting from? Our starting place as Christians is to say that Jesus Christ is Lord. Is to say that is where I am putting my faith. That is where I am putting my foundation. That is everything. I love in the beginning God because that word God is both plural in its sense but also it can only ever be singular. It's explaining the Trinity. And we know from John 1 that the word Jesus was with God in the beginning. So we know that Jesus is at the foundation of the earth as well as the Holy Spirit because the Spirit is hovering over the waters. So you've got the whole triune God right there at the beginning of creation. Jesus was there. And we know from Revelation and the end of Revelation that Jesus is there too. And so our starting point is him. Our end point is him. We're trying to bring about a new heaven and a new earth. And what does God want all the way along that? He wants as many people as he can for himself. So everything we do should be aligned to his purposes. 1 Timothy, that all would be saved. Everything that we do should be aligned to seeing the kingdom come. 
Everything that we do should be foundationally based upon Jesus and everything we do should be aiming for the new heaven and the new earth and that Jesus is returning. That should be the very focus of our lives. So are our lives, at the start of the year, are our lives, are our bearing, is our bearing, is our starting place, is our trajectory, is our curve, are we aligned to him? That's the question I've got for you this morning. It's a nice, easy question, isn't it? But at the start of the year, that's what I want you to say. Hey, this is where I want to be. If you're just taking a moment and you're going, well, I'm not sure that that's where I'm at, then it's about repentance. It's about changing your course. It's about making sure and saying, yeah, Lord, I am following you now. I want to base my life. I'm going to make changes to my life that actually make sure that I am aiming for where you are aiming. I'm going to make sure I'm on that starting place and I'm going to make sure everything about me is doing that. Everything. Every single aspect of my life. No kind of, oh, well, I'll give him this bit and I'll do that bit. That's fine, that's fine, that's fine. No, no, everything. Your focus should be all about him. What I think God wants to do this morning is he wants to uh, give out a few orders, if you like. I got this great game for Christmas where you kind of give out little order cards to make things happen and do different stuff. And I just think God wants to do some of that this morning. So can we all stand together as I'm coming to an end here? Let's all stand together. Let's ask the <coughs> prayer, t- uh, the, uh, prayer team. That would be bad, wouldn't it? The worship team back on the stage. I don't know. The prayer team might be good too. Yeah, the prayer team might be good. Well, I was thinking if the prayer team were playing instruments, but you know, some of them are pretty good at that too. You can pray too. We can all pray. I oh, know we don't need to be in a specific team to pray. We don't need to be in a specific team to worship. Anyway, so... <laughs> This is what I saw God doing in terms of this ark, in terms of what's going on. I saw three groups of people, three things that I think God wants to do. And the first group of people is a standing order. Okay, a standing order. Well, what does standing order mean? It means that whatever you're doing right now is good. Keep doing it. It's a standing order. It's saying just keep doing what you are doing. You are preaching the kingdom. You are demonstrating the kingdom. You are praying for the sick. You are seeing demons disappear. You are telling people about Jesus. You are living good and holy lives. Keep going, good and faithful servants. And many times we think, oh, we don't get prayed. It's only the problem people that get prayed for. I want to pray for you guys this morning because you are doing so, so well. Keep going. So that's the first group of people, okay? The second group of people is, that, uh, is, is a push or advanced kind of thing that's being given out. And what does that mean? That means God is now about to move you into a place or position where you are going to advance the kingdom in a way that you have never done before. Either because you were scared, either because you thought God wouldn't use you, or because you've been doing amazing stuff and God wants to honor you in that and he wants to make you do more. So this is a push or advance. It's like it's shifting in you. It's, it might be a geographical move coming up. Oh, that's scary. It might be a, a, a spiritual move in that you are just going to start doing something you've never started doing before. I remember a, a couple of years ago, Mark and Jackie Dawes came to me and they said, God's just been telling us to say yes to any questions we get asked in terms of things to do at church and things. And my face lit up. <laughs> 
he ended up giving in his job and starting a little coffee truck thing. Anyway, God does amazing things with people. But I, I think there might be some moves. There might be some job moves. There might be some uh, things that you've never done before. But God is going to push you into places. He's going to advance you into places. It might be even promotion at work. Uh, there's just different things that God is going to do in there. Okay, so that's the second group. And then the third group is that you are uh, going to be ambushed. So you're either going to be an ambushed or you're going to be an ambushy. What do I mean by that? Well, I think there are people here, you are just going to be doing what you do, and all of a sudden God is just going to encounter you in such a way that you cannot stop yourself doing what he wants you to do. I can see people on trains, at work, going up to strangers, going up to work colleagues, and just doing things they never thought possible because God just ambushes them and puts conviction of God upon them. It might be that you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour here today and God is ambushing you right now to say, hey, this is your moment. There is an ambush there. So I think God is going to do that. So there's those three categories. One, standing orders keep going. Two, advance. And three, ambush. And what I'd like you to do is put your hand on the shoulder of the person next to you. So make sure everyone's got, you might need to join rows and do all sorts of things. Move around, okay? And what we're going to do all together is we're just going to pray for the person on our left. We're going to pray for the person on our right. And we're going to pray for whichever one of these comes into our head for that person. Oh, that's scary. Okay, so you're not even going to tell one another. So you're going to pray over them, okay? So just go for it, and I'll pray for you all in a moment. So just pray for one another. Go for it as loud as you can. Go. Lord Jesus, just bless these guys. Bless you guys. <laughs> Thank you. So, Father, I thank you so much, Lord. I pray right now for the people on our left and the people on our right, Lord. I pray for your blessing over them. I pray, Lord, and honor those people who have been doing the stuff so well. They're on amazing trajectories. I bless them in the name of Jesus. I thank you for them. I just say, keep going. Greater favor, greater blessing over you in Jesus' name. We pray for those people who are feeling a stirring of advance, a stirring of kind of taking steps out of where they're at. I say, Father, just bless them right now in the name of Jesus. Just open up opportunities. Just open up different areas. Just even put conviction upon them that they know, hey, this is what I want to do. At the start of the year, they are aligning themselves to your purpose. And Father, I pray for those people who are just going to be ambushed by you right now. Holy Spirit, just come and bless them. Just come and stir something up in them come and do amazing things in them just open up opportunities whether it be you're just going to get used I just see you getting used to ambushing people (laughs) just getting used to ambushing people so right now I just release blessing over you in the name of Jesus 
We thank you, Lord. And we do, we do say all as a church, we say as a people group, we say we want to be aligned to your purposes and your plans. We're in our putting selves and say, yeah, we are on your foundation. We are aligning ourselves to your trajectory. We are saying we want to go where you go and nowhere else. We want to be a part of what you are building. We want to say we are a people who are aligned to your purposes. We want to see salvation in our friends, our family. We want to see creative miracles. We want to see just you doing amazing things in the name of Jesus. That's what we want to see. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Um, before I finish, we just want to say, um, Ben had a couple of uh, words of knowledge. That's the phrase I'm after. So there was knees, uh, repetitive strain injury. So knees and repetitive strain injury. If you are suffering from either of those two, or if you have been ambushed by God, I'm just going to ask the prayer team to go to the back corner over there. Go over there and be prayed for. So the prayer team can go over there. And anyone who's got repetitive strain injury, dodgy knee or was ambushed by God, we just want to pray for you right now. Okay, bless you, church.